Well, it is a joy for Vern and me to be here. Uh, we deeply love Tim and Jenny, and I'm just uh, thinking about how God allowed our paths to cross. Uh, and, and I never cease to be amazed at how that works. And we never realize when that happens and its origin what that all is going to develop into. But I'm, I'm just so thrilled to be able to say that Tim and Ginny are among our closest friends that we have. And uh, a lot of it is simply because of the, uh, the depth of intimacy and the openness that, that they've uh, demonstrated in allowing themselves to be vulnerable and, and that gives us the opportunity to do the same. And so, you know, we have a lot of relationships or potential for relationships as we walk through life, but so many times there's this, this mask or this pretense or just going so deep. But when we have the gift of being able to get deeper than the surface in one another's lives, uh, there is something tremendously special about that. And uh, some of you that are younger uh, may not be able to appreciate that as much, but I think as I'm getting older, uh, I realize that uh, so much of the values that we're uh, sold, uh, so to speak, by the world uh, that look so attractive and so valuable uh, just begins to start to show its real colors and we begin to start to see that it's genuine relationship that is among the greatest blessings that we can experience on the face of this earth. Can anybody say amen? People that you can trust, people that you can just open yourself up, be real, take the mask off. That's not easy, but it's worth the price. And so we just have that sense of of, of depth of relationship, and then not only with Tim and Ginny, as Jay has said, but with Chris and uh, Jay and Mike and Patty. They are just tremendous host and hostess, and it's, it feels, it genuinely feels like coming home when they open their doors to us and stand at the door and welcome us in as weary travelers, <laughs> needing a bed and breakfast and a whole lot more, and they just do that. Of course, then there's the walk on the bridge. <laughs> Your claim to fame, amen, <laughs> or one of them. And so we were able to do that yesterday, eat along the river. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. Unless you want to come to God's country in central Pennsylvania. <laughs> uh, pray with me, if you will. Let's just ask God. He's already here, and we've sensed that, but we just need to hear from him. Amen. God, we need to hear from you, and we thank you, Lord, that you delight. You delight as a father to speak to us. You're a God that speaks. We see that at the very beginning of the record. And, Lord, even as you looked out on that which was formless and void, you spoke those words. Let there be light. And light emanated out of darkness and void. And God, that's why we come to you, because, God, there's elements of, of lack, of neediness, of all of that which would represent darkness and void. But you sent Jesus the light. And God, we thank you for the beauties of creation that we can observe from the walking bridge and looking out onto the Catskills or maybe the, the mountains of central Pennsylvania. But it, it pales in comparison to the work of your life, your light working in us as people that you could have discarded because of our actions toward you, but you didn't. Thank you for Jesus. We've already celebrated Jesus 
But, oh, Lord, we pray that through Jesus, through the the presence of the Holy Spirit and the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, speak. Oh, God, we need to hear in the midst of a world that is so much darkness and void. We need to hear the let there be light. And so I pray, God, as we open your word, that you will do that for us today. And all of God's people said, amen. Turn with me to, uh, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I trust you do, uh, to Matthew chapter 19. And I'm kind of amazed as God dropped this word into my spirit, really as a compilation of a lot of bits and pieces, which happens as you walk with God through many years. Uh, there's just a compilation of pieces that are out there. And as I was taking my 15-mile bike ride this, this week, out in the, I mean, it is really beautiful uh, country that God, God has given me the privilege of riding bike in. So that in itself is kind of a setting for inspiration. But I love the fact that I don't have to take my bike rides by myself, but uh, Jesus rides bike too. And uh, he rides with me. And I hear him speak. And that seems to be a setting that in a very special way I can hear him. And he brought me back to this passage that has so much meaning to me, and I just kind of cr- scratch my head why I have not preached out of it uh, any more than I have, because it is so, so vivid to me in light of my own personal journey. And so uh, I think it may have relevance for some of you here today. I have that sense within me. And so before we look at this story out of the life of Jesus, he walked the dusty trails of Galilee and Judea. I have four questions that I want to ask you that were asked to me in the context of a, uh, of a meeting uh, 35 years ago. And I keep coming back to these four questions from time to time through my life. And God brought me back to them this week. And I want to present them to you. And I want you to close your eyes because I don't want you to be distracted. Uh, these are some of the uh, most important questions that can ever be asked of a human being. Uh, And so in the midst of all of the riffraff of life, so many times we lose sight of what these questions represent. And so I want to ask them to you this morning as they were asked to me 35 years ago uh, in the company of others. And I want you to listen very closely because they're questions that only you can answer. And they are crucial, important questions. Number one, how many of you are content and fulfilled where you are right now? How many of you are content and fulfilled in where you are right now? Number two, if you had the needed money and authority to change things, would you stay where you are? If you had the needed money and authority... To change things, would you stay right where you are? Number three, are you confident that you're in the middle of God's will? Are you confident that you're in the middle of God's will? And number four, This is not exactly a question, but in two or three sentences, what is your unique calling before God, your creator? In two or three sentences, can you write down or declare 
your unique calling before God. Okay, I want that to be a framework for uh, what I believe God's uh, wanting to, to talk to us about today. And uh, I like to come up with a title for my messages because I think it helps to crystallize and focus uh, and keeps me kind of on track because it's easy for me to get off on tangents. And so uh, if you're taking notes, I see some of you are. This is the title. The unique or the most unique or the most significant Christian crises. The most unique, and maybe the better word would be ultimate, ultimate. That's probably a better word of what I'm trying to get at. The, the, the most ultimate, important, crucial uh, Christian crises. Now, I think most of us, when we talk about crises, there's, there's a, a definition that uh, immediately comes up to us. Uh, and I, I pull up my dictionary here on my phone, and I want to just give to you a couple of definitions because I like to do this with words that we use all the time just to kind of see uh, the nuances of meaning. And so, <clears throat> crises, a dramatic emotional or circumstantial upheaval in a person's life. Can any of you say amen to that? How many of you have ever experienced a crisis? A couple of weeks ago, uh, 2 o'clock at night. I mean, my wife and I are sound asleep. The phone rings. You know at 2 o'clock at night that uh, that's not good. Particularly when you have a daughter and family in Australia and their time frame means that they're up and about at that time. So immediately that phone rings. Boom. I'm in crises. Because if my kids are in crises, I'm in crises. Any parents be able to say amen to that? Their crises and my crisis. It doesn't matter how old they are. I mean, they can be 60, but it's still a crisis to me. And so my daughter, I mean, you know, she's just all broken up, and I won't go into the crises, but the point is that we all understand that definition. But this definition, I think, is an interesting one that is tied to this word. The point in the course of a serious disease at which a decisive change occurs, leading either to recovery or to death. So it's a turning point. There's another definition. A turning point in the course of anything is a what? Crisis. A turning point. A point where it either goes one way or the other. It's a crisis. And so we find that uh, we experience many crises in life, but I think for a Christian, I'm speaking primarily to Christians, and if you're not a Christian today, you can listen in. But, but the, the ultimate Christian crises, and I've had, I've had many personal crises in my life, you know, physical ones, cancer, and all kinds of other stuff, uh, that I've had to navigate through, but this is, to me, uh, and, and I'm just presenting to the, this for consideration, because, you know, we always can debate that, but I, to me, as I've lived 70-plus years, I think, to me, this is the ultimate Christian crisis that we're going to look at today. So we find uh, Jesus, uh, I love the Gospels, uh, you know, the whole word is pregnant with uh, scriptural truth, and we see Jesus in the whole Bible, but uh, and Jesus is our point of access to all that relates to, to life, to God. 
And so that's why it, Jesus is the only way. Uh, and so we see here as he's walking these trails, interacting with these people that come across his pathway, that we can learn some really important lessons that we can apply to our own lives. And so this one, as I said, I think holds special meaning and significance to us. Matthew chapter 19, beginning of verse 16. And behold, one came to him, to Jesus, and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. And he, then he goes on. He, he kind of asks a question, but he doesn't even give him time to answer. He says, uh, If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. And this young man said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't really get to the the, the first ones, which if we know the Ten Commandments, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which would seem to be the important ones. Now, God's up to something here through Jesus, as Jesus speaks to this man out of that question. Uh, But the young man said to him, verse 20, something very interesting. He says, all these things I have kept. Now, I'm not sure if he was (laughs) living in a delusion uh, or if he, evidently he was a fairly godly man when you expect that he's not just blowing steam, but evidently there's something within him that is desiring to live a godly life. And so he says, I'm doing all these things. I'm keeping all of those But he says something very interesting. He says, what am I still lacking? And Jesus says to him, if you wish to be complete, I think some of the translations say if you want... If you want to be perfect, but that, that throws us into a real tizzy because, you know, who is perfect? Who can be perfect? So that kind of derails us. So I like the word complete, which is in my Bible. Uh, I like that better because I think it gets at what Jesus is getting at here for us. Jesus said, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples that were standing right there, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So what are we seeing here? Well, I want to look just a little bit, just take a brief uh, couple of moments here to, 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 to just look at this man. Who is he? Well, if we harmonize the three Gospels that include this story, he is a rich. Anybody else fill in any of the other characteristics? Young. And what else is he? Ruler. Rich, young, ruler. How, much, how many of you are rich? Wrong answer. I didn't think I was rich either until in, in, in 1974, Vern and I went to visit his, her brother in Argentina that was a missionary. Uh, and they're living in the good part of town, open sewer running right by their house. And, you know, I could just paint the picture. And I came home from that trip saying, I am a rich man. 
I don't have a lot of money in the bank. I don't have, you know, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have. But I have, I have, I have, I have, I have. Anybody say amen to that? See, we are rich. Now, I used to be young, and I'm not young anymore. I try to be young at heart, but I don't know if that counts. Well, I may, may help. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Uh, a rich, I mean, he's rich. He's got young. And he's got influence. I mean, you know, most Americans looking at him say, now that's the American dream. Right? I mean, this is it. He's got it. I mean, he is blessed. He is naturally blessed. He's obviously, he's probably young, uh, uh, good looking too. (laughs) Right? Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and, you know, whatever. We could paint the picture here, but this guy has got it going naturally. And he also has it going godly. I mean, he is a godly man. So he's naturally favored. He's God-favored because if we live in the ways of God, how many of you know that's, that's, that's the blessing life? We may have difficulties. We may have crises. But in the midst of it, there is something that's so blessed about being naturally favored and godly oriented to follow the ways of God. Because God has written instructions for our lives. I've been reading the Old Testament and all of the laws, which we can get bogged down by. But really, those laws are simply instructions of how life works. We can live either with the grain or against the grain. Really, that's it. See? So, I love the law. Even as the psalmist wrote, I love the law. Because the law helps me to see how life works. I wouldn't go that way naturally. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone to our own way. We try and remake life. And try and counter God, the Creator. How dumb is that? But we do it. And so... uh, He's, he's doing the right stuff. And the do's here are really the don'ts. You shall not steal. You shall not commit adultery. And so really what he's doing there, he's talking about how we live life in relation to others. It's really what Jesus is saying here. But he has this sense that there's still something missing. We can have all the blessings that natural life can give us. We can even be trying to obey God and walk in His commandments. You see, we can be blessed and we can be blameless and yet we can still be barren. We can be blessed, we can be blameless, but we can still be barren. And uh, it really brought to mind uh, one, one of my favorite uh, truths of Scripture way back in Ecclesiastes that I come back to time and time again. I want to just read this to you. The phrase uh, that the uh, writer of Ecclesiastes wrote and says this. He says, God has put eternity in our hearts. God has written it into the DNA of man that there is a sense of eternity. Not just life forever and ever and ever, but it's speaking of a quality of life. It's speaking of a dimension of life. And for the purposes of today, it represents to me the unseen life. See, that which we can't see. And I want to develop that a little further as we go along here. 
But it's, it's the unseen things, the eternity things that He has placed in our hearts. And we can have all that this world has to offer. We can even attempt to follow God and His instructions of how life works and live to the best of our ability in that and still have the sense of the rich young ruler that says, but there's still something missing. Any of you say amen to that? See? Because we've been created to not be barren. And I like what the Amplified said. Listen to the Amplified. A divinely implanted sense of a purpose working through the ages with which nothing under the sun but only God can satisfy. A divinely implanted sense of purpose. And and until that is touched, until that is ignited, we can have all this world has to offer. And as I said, this this is a message to Christians. Because as we have had the opportunity through the years to work with churches and leaders and the people of God, there is such a sense of restlessness and unfulfillment in the body of Christ. And I am so grieved by that. The rich young ruler. And so this man, as he out of that sense of desperation, though he had so much going for him, he comes to Jesus and there's something that's attracting him to Jesus. He, he's touching the eternal. He's touching a man that's walking among them that has a sense of purpose and is pursuing that in such a natural way, not wholly spooky. He's just living life, but he's living it in connection with the Father and it's bleeding through. It's coming through and he wants it. See, and that's what happens. I mean, evangelism, we talk, we, we, as leaders, scratch our heads relating to getting people to evangelize. And I tell you what, if we get a hold of what our purpose is and we are able to embrace that and give ourselves to that, that's going to be so attractive. We're going to have many rich young rulers coming to us and say, I am doing all of this stuff, but there is still something more. Tell me. See, that's what the church has to be. And so uh, this is crisis time. See, as he's asking this question, little does he know that he has stepped right into that place where it's either going to go worse or it's going to go better. See, and, and, and I was at that place 45 years ago. I was a Christian. I was, you know, living life as best I knew how. I was in a prosperous family business. Uh, I was young. I had influence because the business was influential in the community. I had all of these things going for me. And yet there was this sense of, there's more, there's more, there's more. And I want to come back to that again, but I want to just paint that picture. I was a Christian. I knew I was going to heaven. I was really attempting to live the good life, but there was still something more. And so we see this man in this state. And so Jesus simply says, Though there's a little bit more commentary, I want to call attention to the two words. What do you think are the two words that we see here in this passage? Follow me. Follow me. That's what he said. Follow me. We, we, we resonate with that from other passages of Scripture, don't we? Jesus said that to some other men, didn't he? Follow me. There was an attraction. There was something that was drawing them. And he already has that band around him that's beginning to start to form. 
And so he says, follow me. And I, and I want to I give to you what I, I see as three primary things that he's saying when he's saying, follow me. And I, I want to really call these to attention to you because I think they really help to flesh out what that represents, at least in my understanding. Uh, first of all, I think it relates to what he says uh, right before prefacing those two words. Look at again verse 21 with me. If you wish to com- be complete, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So follow me is really initiated by this sense of sell what you got, give it to the poor. That's the first step. So I have termed it let go. If we're going to follow him, we've got to be willing to let go. Of all of that which God has given to us. See, to lay it down. That's what he's saying. Lay it down. Lay it down. What do you mean? I mean, it's, it, it's God, it's what you gave to me. See? I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it's the good life. Lay it down. Now, I could best illustrate this out of my own life, and this is several years after, quite a few years after I. I, 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 like the rich young ruler, came to that point, and I want to share near the end of the message that actual happening. But it was several years later, and just to illustrate how this works practically. I'm a musician. I know, you know I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher, whatever. But at the heart of it all, I'm a musician. That's who I am. That's where I thought I was going to be. That, you know, when, when, when that which was in me was starting to work and the following, I thought that was my calling. Well, it is, but uh, not like I interpreted it. How many of you know that that's often the way it is? So anyhow, uh, you know, I'm in the music business. That's our family business. And, and growing up with music all over around me. And, you know, of course, I love musical instruments. I mean, it's a part of who I am. It's, it was my dad and the generations before me. And some of you read my book uh, that charts that. But uh, I, I began to develop an eye for valuable musical instruments, old musical instruments, antiques, you know. And, and so, sure enough, in the music business, in our store, full, full-blown full music store operation, we are in a good position to come across great instruments. And so, sure enough, one day this gal comes in with a mandolin, a Gibson mandolin, back from the early 1900s, and immediately I saw it. You know, it was, it was gold. I mean, it was, it was the kind that you just drool over, and <laughs> there's a musician, he's already knowing where I'm going with this. See, and so I, I just can hardly contain my enthusiasm, and she was wondering if I'd be interested in buying it. Well, we normally don't buy used instruments because we get more than enough on trade, and so, you know, they just hang around hang around. But this was something different, but I didn't let her know that I do. And so, well, let me see. And so she begins, uh, what do you want for it? And uh, I won't tell you what it was. It was a ridiculously low price. So I, again, could hardly contain my... Uh, I mean, this, I am glad I got up today. I'm glad I'm working today. <laughs> so I got my own personal wallet out, not out of the drawer, but I got my wallet out, and I very uh, happily released those dollars in my wallet for that mandolin. Well, I'm not a mandolin player, but I love old instruments. Something about them that just really attracted me. I was into acoustic music, and at that time I was playing guitar and banjo, but I wasn't playing mandolin. But this was a prize. And so I put it up on my wall, my, my living room wall, wall hanging. I mean, it was beautiful there against the, the uh, off-white wall and, and the colors of the... I mean, it, it was a gorgeous piece, right, huh? 
Yeah, and she's not even the musician I am, and she. So, uh, it's while we were pastoring the church, and uh, we had a visiting speaker in for a worship seminar, a very well-known musician, and he happened to be a mandolin player. And so, again, you're ahead of the story here. We come into our house. He's staying at our home. He sees that mandolin wall. He knows what I know. And he will not let it rest. He wants that mandolin. And so, you know, every time we had about five or six different sessions, and every time we'd come home and we'd sit down and have a little snack, and he goes to work on me. I mean, he's got all kinds of deals. He has, he has this, he has that, he has this, he has that, and, you know, he's just wheeling and dealing. And it's no deal for me. I mean, it's no deal. I mean, he can't offer me anything that will equate with what I've got hanging on that wall. And even though I don't play it, it is a prize. It's valuable to me. And so uh, my wife didn't help me out. I thought she was really my companion and helpmate. But, uh, you know, at one point, and this guy uses mandolin in leading worship, along with guitar, but, you know, he's a picker. And so he really wants this mandolin, you know, to use it to worship God. And there I have it on the wall. And so this is the theme my wife picks up. Well, you know, he could use it, you know, to bless God. I Hush your mouth. <laughs> God, help. <laughs> and he's working on me. She's working on me, you know. And so it's, it's, it's Sunday night. It's all over. And we're going to take him to the airport Monday to get his flight. And I can't sleep. I'm, at a, I'm awake at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, and this thing is working on me, and I'm not getting any peace. Now, which deal should I make? If, I mean, if I, if I need to really let this go. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and I believe this is what I heard God say. I was tempted to say, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> but I believe I heard him say, son, you sow this in the natural, and I'm going to allow you to reap in the spiritual. You give it to him. And I will cause you to reap in what really matters. And though I wrestled, I knew it was the right. I I knew in my spirit, see, I was able to let it go as an investment in that which was really mattering. Does that make sense? And so I didn't know how I could do this, but, you know, suddenly creativity began to start to well up. And we, how can I, you know, just really have some fun with this? And so, <laughs> so uh, we packed up everything, and I was able to sneak the mandolin into the trunk of the car without him seeing it. So we get to the airport, and it was back in the days before 9-11, and it was a small airport at Lancaster. And so it was, you know, very, very easy in and out. Uh, and so... Uh, he was checking in with the gal behind the desk, and, and we had brought the things out. So I quickly went out and got the mandolin and came back in. And he just, as he turned around after completing his, his uh, business there, I handed it to him. Well, he almost dropped it. He was speechless. And he goes, okay, now which deal? You know, which, which, I said, it's yours. And as we drove out of the driveway of that airport, tears... I knew that the deal that God made with me would be fulfilled. See? So 
So, letting it go. This man was unwilling to let the mandolin go. Sad. No wonder he walked away grieved. He knew he was making the wrong decision. But there was such a hold. And you see what the question of the disciples saying. Well, well, but uh, if it's so hard for the rich, the, the, the one that holds on, that has to possess the blessings. Who then can be saved? He said, with, with, with man it's impossible. See, that, 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 that need for us to possess and to get a hold of all that there is in life to have the good life, we can't rid ourselves of that. There is only one that can help us to see the kingdom of God. Except you be born again, you can't see it. You can't, it's oblivious. See, it, it, it's the unseen. And so, the first thing when he says, follow me, what is he saying again? Let go. Lay it down. Secondly, he's saying, when he's saying follow me, he's saying learn of me. Learn the way I do it. See it. It's unseen. See. In fact, uh, look, uh, uh, if, you, if you have your Bibles there uh, and you want to, uh, turn with me to First uh, Thessalonians cap- chapter 2. I'm sorry, not Thessalonians. It's uh, 1 Corinthians. He says, uh, Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and have not even entered the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love them. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. See, there is so much eye has not seen, ear has not heard, what God has for us. We can't see it in the natural. It's only by the Spirit of God that we can see it. And so we've got to get next to Him, the one who sees and knows, and it's out of our close relationship with Him that we begin to pick up the vibes of what is represented in that which we can't see and can't even dream. We can't even ask high enough, great enough, but it represents the things that are unseen. Are you with me? So he's saying, learn of me, learn how I do it. Well, uh, immediately I come to this passage in uh, Philippians 2. I want to read this out of the message. Uh, Philippians 2, and some of you know this passage, but uh, listen to this. When when it's talking about learning of him, it's, it's seeing it, savoring it, and then showing it. That's our calling, that we see the high things that we can't see in our natural selves. See, so many times we're going after the stuff that's really the dirt of life, really, in comparison. And we think that that's the gold. That's where natural man is, see. And we can't see it until we get close to him and see how he does it. This is how Jesus did it, and he shows us how to do it. This is what Paul has a revelation of. If you have gotten anything at all out of following Christ, 
if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have, if you have a heart, if you care, don't be obsessed with getting your own, own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ thought of himself. See, learn how he saw himself. Learn how he saw life. Learn how he approached life. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity, could have held on to them. He set them aside and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that. A crucifixion. Because of that letting go, because of that obedience, God lifted him up high and honored him far beyond anyone and anything ever. So that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before Jesus Christ. Wow. That's how he did it. And he's calling us to follow in his steps. Not just to live a good life. Not just to live a godly life. Not just to be blessed. Not just to be blameless. But to be fruitful. To, to invest our lives. Invest the things that we would naturally hold on to. Learn of him. And then thirdly, when he said, follow me, he was not just saying, follow me. He was saying, be a part of my company. Because Jesus wasn't standing there by himself, was he? He was standing there with a bunch of being formed followers. Jesus just didn't come to save individuals. He came to bring a people together. And that's many times what people in the body of Christ miss. See, it's still about me. Actually, you know, and I never uh, had seen this before, and I've been through this passage many times because it's spoken to me so profoundly, personally. But I never saw this before until just a day or two ago preparing this message. He could have been the 13th disciple. In fact, in Mark's account, it doesn't give it in Matthew, but in Mark's account, I want to give this to you, uh, picking up this passage. When the young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Mark adds a parenthesis and says... And looking at him, Jesus felt love for him. Now, there are very few, if any, other people that the Bible records that Jesus said that about. He looks at this guy and there is something that is connecting with him that sees the potential. And this man is a ruler. Obviously, there's gifting there. And see, that's what, that's what the disciples are going to be rulers. And so here is this guy uh, most likely to succeed. I mean, some of these other guys, I mean, they, they're not heads, right? I mean, thunder of thunder and all of this kind of stuff that he's got to work a lot with. This guy's already pre-worked. Right? And so there is something in him that looks at that man. And there is a love that begins to start to connect with him. And it's out of that that he says, here's something, son, that I want you to do. I want you to lay it down and let me show you who you are. Wow. 
That even adds depth to that answer, doesn't it? I mean, this man was feeling love. He was feeling something. Obviously, when Jesus looks at you and there's a love in his heart, amen, there's a response out of that. See, and yet he could not. See, he's saying, link up. So it's, it, it's let go, learn of me, and link up with me. I want you on my team. I want you on my team is what he's saying. See? And as, as I was thinking about that this morning, I flipped back to uh, Mark. You don't need to flip there. But, but it just so resonated with what Jesus spoke or what Jesus acted in when he chose the twelve. Listen to this. He went up to a mountain, and, it, and the, one of the other accounts says he spent all night praying. And then listen to the way this is worded by Matthew or Mark. And he summoned those whom he himself wanted. There's a love connection there. See, he wanted them. There, there, it, was, it was not about what they could do, but it was because of that sense of drawing, that sense of, of, of love connection there. And they came to him. See, they, they were drawn to him. And he appointed 12, number one, not that they would go out to preach, but that they might be with him. And that then he might send them out to preach. So it was witness before witness. See? And, and, and he, so, you know, these guys, a couple of them were fishers. He says, uh, I mean, they were fisher uh, men par excellence. But he said, I want to take that and just tweak that a little bit, and I'm going to cause you to be fishers of men. See, they left off. See, they, they, they came to that crisis point, and they were able to say yes and follow him, even though they didn't see it all. See, he was leading them into the unseen. He was leading them into the unnatural. He was leading them into the eternal. That thing that stirs in our hearts that cries out to be satisfied. See. Because eternity and eternal life is more than eternal existence. But it is enjoying the fulfilling pleasures of royalty or reigning with him. Can anybody say amen to that? See, that's exactly what Jesus goes on to say. After Peter asks this question, well, Lord, this guy has said no. But Peter says, but Lord, we've left everything. We've let it go. What about us? What is it in there for us? See, you know, I can't see it. I can't feel it. I can't, you know, it's kind of evasive. Jesus says to him, truly I say to you that you who have followed me, there's that word, see, you who have let go, you have been learning of me, who you have been willing to lay down your independence and become a part of my team, truly I say to you that you are those who have followed me. In the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms or mandolins or whatever it is, for my sake, shall receive many times as much and shall inherit eternal life. I may have five mandolins in heaven that can't be burned, that I have to try and collect insurance on, can't be stolen, right? I don't know. I, I know I'm going to be a musician in heaven. That I do know. And the instruments that they've got up there, I mean, what we have here, I mean, the sound, like the sound. 
Better than spruce top and rosewood back and sides. Ah, okay, right? Is this making sense? And so, eternity is written in your hearts, my heart. See? But we need God's help to tune into that. And so, I want Bernard to come. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through the song. But on a July 4th evening, back in probably 69 or 70, I came to the crises of my life. It wasn't cancer. It wasn't doom and gloom. I was sitting in a context that I loved. A festival of all kinds of music going on that I loved, acoustic music and star performers. It was a Saturday evening. It was already dark. Vernon wasn't by my side. I and a couple of other guys had gone by ourselves as guys to this festival. And we were sitting there that evening. I was sitting there. And this group got up and sang this song. And I sat in that chair after hearing one phrase and I wept. I was glad it was dark because the tears were just streaming down my face because I was at this crisis, a turning point. And the, the words, it was not a Christian setting. I don't know that the performers that performed the song were Christian, but God can speak through a donkey if he wants to. But it was pricking my heart. It was, it was crucifying my heart. And it was, it was powerful. And so, uh, I think there's a, yeah. Would you give that to Verna? Just, just give it to her because I've got my mic. Uh, we, you know, I don't know that we've ever sung this song. Uh, in a setting like this morning but I really felt that we need to sing it because I sense that some of you are at this point you're at the ultimate crises of your life right here sitting here in the peace of this moment and I want you to close your eyes it would help us I think it will help you to hear God and there, I think there are numerous crises as we keep walking with him times where we're letting go at new levels and and listening and learning at new levels and linking up at new levels. And I believe that Bridge Builders Church, the people of God here, this little group of people, is at a crisis point, a turning point. I have such expectancy in my heart for you. Not many mighty, not many strong, not many maybe with a lot of extraordinary gifting. But you've got eternity in your heart. God wants to awaken that. God wants to ignite it. God wants to harness it, link it up with others, with different giftings. Amen. So just close your eyes and, and allow the Lord to speak to you more this morning. Lord, help me walk another mile just one more mile I'm tired of walking all alone 
And Lord, help me smile. Another smile, just one more smile. I know I just can't make it on my own. I never thought I needed help before. I thought that I could do things by myself. But now I know I just can't take it. Humble heart, on bending knees, I'm begging you, please help me. Come down from your golden throne to me to love me. I need to feel the touch of your tender hand. Remove the chains of darkness and let me see, Lord, let me see. Just where I fit into your master plan. God, we cry out today, help us. Help us, God. Help us to see. Help my brothers and sisters to see. Help me to continue to see where I fit into your plan. For, Lord, have your way. Not my way. Your way. For your way is so much higher than mine. And, God, I pray that as we consider these questions... Are we content? Are we fulfilled where we are? Would I change things? What would I change? And Lord, help me, if I'm not in the middle of your will, to get into your will. God, it's a work that you can do in many, many different ways. But you need my permission. You need my, yes, I will follow you. And I want to give you that opportunity to... To respond in that. Maybe it's the first time. Maybe it's the fifth time. But, but in a new way to let go of the things that you would pursue. I mean, there's so many people, even in the body of Christ, pursuing you know, a better job, a better this, a better that, a better whatever. And those are all valid things. But so many times they get in the way of where we fit into his master plan. And so we've got to refocus. And so he's saying, if you want to be complete, if there's a void in your heart today, 
it very well could be because you've been distracted, you've been discouraged. But today is a day of crises, a turning point. It can be. So if that's you, anew or the first time, I just want to invite you boldly to stand today. If, if, if God's spoken that to your heart, and, and you've, yeah, if, if you, like I that night, my heart cried out, Lord, help me to see where I fit into your plan. If you're saying that anew, or if you're saying it for the first time, stand. I want to pray with you. I, I, I want to just call forth that ability to see and to enter in right now. God, you see. Uh, Those of us that you've spoken that to, the heart cry resonating with your invitation, follow me. And Lord, we're standing saying, God, in a new way, I let go of the things that are so normally and naturally pursued in the seen realm. I I choose to, to, to lay down the mandolin. And to believe that as I make those investments, hold loosely, steward instead of possess. God, that out of that I believe that you will release to me a new understanding, a new ability to enter in to the fullness of where I fit into your master plan, along with my brothers and sisters. God, I thank you for Bridge Builders and what it represents and even what these responses represent in the scheme of your eternal plan. And we just thank you that you are a God that speaks, that you're a God that invites. You're not a God that condemns. But a God, you call us upward, higher, into the realms of the unseen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for you are the way to that eternity in our hearts. And we give you thanks and praise for it. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.